So Chaitanya Nihar are from the founding team at Yuga Life. Now, Yuga Life is an interesting model in terms of creating a vertical niche in the in the space of wellness products. What they interestingly found is the fact that the consumer is actually married to a problem statement or a category more than a brand itself. Hence, their ability to actually solve that problem for the consumer by selling him a larger portfolio of products from possibly multiple brands is a very interesting lens. What I found slightly controversial and fascinating is the fact that they believe in their subcategory, DTC platforms might not necessarily be the best idea for brands, and they're better off betting on platforms like Yuga Life, which will end up making sure that there's a longer continuity of the relationship. Hear it out. So welcome to one more episode of the State of Retention Marketing Conversation. This is your host, Ankush, and I'm really excited to have this conversation today with uh, Nehar and Chaitanya. They've been the founding team members of a company called Huga Life. Thank you so much for joining in, guys. Maybe a quick little introduction about yourselves and your role in the companies would just help set context. Thank, thanks for having me here. Uh, my name is Chaitanya. I have a background uh, in chemical engineering, actually. Now, now looking at product and growth for Huga Life. Uh, before that, I spent about four and a half years at Amazon and I got my MBA before that. So just a quick introduction. MBA, Amazon startup. Okay. How about you, Nihar? It's actually uh, exactly the same as what Chaitanya said. Uh, so hmm. we were actually uh, batchmates from chemical engineering. Who is it? Okay. Yeah. So we know each other since then. Um, we worked for a few years separately. Then uh, we did our MBA in the same year. Okay. Um, and we ended up in Amazon Luxembourg uh, exactly on the same date. Was that by design? It, no, uh, it's all coincidental. No, it was coincidental, okay. yeah. So worked again in Amazon for about four, four and a half years um, across Europe and uh, Singapore. Mm-hmm. Um, came back to India um, in, I think, early 2021. Um, and that's when we started thinking about uh, Yuga Life in general. So you started thinking about the startup as an approach that you want to start up together. What happened first? You started, The idea came first, the team came first. What happened? What was the journey like? It started with an idea. So like uh, one of our other founders who also is my wife uh, and uh, Sachin, all of us knew each other for a long time. Uh, We were probably in a very similar uh, life phase at the same time where we were thinking about moving out of our jobs. Um, You know, what next? Uh, All of us had been bitten by this e-commerce Kira. So we were like, okay, this is really what like uh, what we would love to do and like what keeps us up and we Mm. enjoy it. Um, and that's when we started thinking really, you know, what is it within this space that makes sense? Sachin has been in India uh, in the e-commerce space for a long time now. Um, and we and I also from an e-commerce space, but uh, had never worked within this space in India. And what we observed in India was uh, as people started getting richer and spending more money on things that they didn't necessarily need, uh, but wanted, uh, a lot of that, that spend was going uh, towards upgrading their lifestyle, right? And a big part of that upgradation was related to their health. Okay. Um, I think obviously at the time when I moved back to India also, uh, there was COVID and, you know, there was generally a lot more awareness going around about what's good for you. That's where sort of the genesis of Yuga Life was was born. Awesome. What's been your entry point and how did you get rolling? For me, I, I was longer at Amazon than him. Uh, so uh, uh, these folks started of the journey and I, I came in about a few months okay. uh, later. It was a sort of a similar, uh, I would say, space that Jesus. I was in as well. Mm. Uh, thinking about, you know, now's the time. I'm at the sort of the right juncture on my life phase uh, to start something. And since uh, these folks were starting, I was like, I, I might as well join you. Uh, and, you know, uh, if, all of that is aligned. Uh, the you, you know who you're working with, you're working with highly motivated, ambitious folks. 
So I mean, then then all, the team makes sense, right? So I think most of the early stage uh, growth is all about the team. Absolutely. And I mean, the team uh, year sort of is great. So I, I joined. So the team came together. The first uh, conception of what Yuga Life would be was there. Is it the same as what it is today? No, it's not actually. So when we when we started off thinking about the whole health space, um, we were actually thinking about launching a few brands within the health space uh, because we felt like there was differentiation needed in uh, what brands talk about, the kind of products they deliver. Uh, however, when we went further into our research and deep dives, we realized that there are to some scrapes we did out of other marketplaces. We saw there were already more than 4,000 brands within this very, very small space okay. in India. Uh, so for context, this whole space of nutraceutical supplements and all of that is about a four, four and a half billion dollar market size okay. in India. And this is, is very, online, offline, both put again. Yes, both put together, okay. which is very, very small, right? Um, four and a half billion sounds small to you, okay? Sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's a function of context. but <laughs> hey, I mean, it's, it's small compared to when you think about other e-commerce categories like your fashion and apparel, yeah, yeah, yeah. beauty, electronics and so on. Um, so in that spectrum, is still a niche. Correct, correct. Okay. Anyway, so we were thinking about launching a brand. We saw that actually there are already too many brands for a very small market. Um, and what what is the 4,001th brand going to do different mm. that these brands have not been able to? And that's why we realized that actually the need was probably more for a neutral voice okay. uh, to be able to convey the right message to the consumer. Um, and because consumer purchase behaviors were changing, right? So you saw people asking a lot more questions, right? It was not just about going somewhere, looking at a four-star product and then deciding you want to buy it because this is something you're consuming. And we saw like relevant benchmarks in other industries like beauty, for example, where again, people were concerned, I'm applying this on my skin. So what, what's it going to do? Are there going to be side reactions? I have oily skin. Is it okay for me? I have like um, you know, dry skin, can I use this product? And it's very similar in health as well, right? You want to know that, um, you know, I'm in this life stage right now. Is this product good for me? And maybe a four-star rating does not convey the same thing to you. That's when we realized that probably the need for a platform or a marketplace, a neutral voice that can convey all this in a much more seamless and easy manner was probably more uh, the need of the hour. Awesome. So Yuga Life was born as a marketplace in Jan this year. In general, from a business uh, lens, this is like, are you going to be competing with all those 4,000 brands for the share of traffic when you look at your performance bits? Is And what is the, uh, let's say, customer segment or definition of the ICP or ideal customer profile that you're choosing? How does it, uh, let's say, stay in ground or find your place when you have a degree of competition with the likes of Amazon, the DTC platform that are, <clears throat> these brands are selling on? How do you look at that lens on the acquisition side? I think we have a couple of main competitor segments, um, right? I think our consumer profile already exists. We're not trying, we're not building a very new consumer profile as such. These people are today anyway shopping. Obviously, over a period of time, our objective is to get more people into this funnel than there are today. Sure. Uh, and that's what I believe a platform can do. When you say people are buying into this category. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's so new an ongoing category. journey. Yeah, Correct. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but currently, if you look at people buying from horizontal marketplaces like an Amazon or a Flipkart, that's mm -hmm. one side, right? Yeah. Um, then you have your others, which are probably your e-pharmacies to an extent. You have your NetMeds, Farmeasy, yeah. 1MG, so on. 
Um, and then you have the brand's own D2C websites as well, because they are also doing sure. uh, a pretty decent job of selling to their own website. So I think um, from a competitor standpoint, when we look at horizontal marketplaces like an Amazon or a Flipkart, what we're trying to build is something far richer in terms of a customer experience um, than what is currently available today, okay. right? And that actually comes from anecdotes that we see on an Amazon or Flipkart where you will see if you want to buy, let's take whey protein, which is the largest subcategory within this space. And let's take Optimum Nutrition, which is one of the largest brands in this space, uh, right? But when you go to an Optimum page on an Amazon and you see the reviews, you'll always see things like, uh, you know, like, oh, I got a fake product or like, I don't know where this has come from. Okay. Or like my seal was a bit torn, you know, and stuff like mm. that. Um, which is one side of the problem. The other side is more around understanding, is this the right product for me? Sure. Like I said, right? Because there you have those five bullet points that tell you what is written on the packaging. Yeah. Um, actually, and you don't know if this is the right thing for you. So for example, I'm someone who works out two or three times a week, nothing heavy duty. Uh, this is the right kind of protein for me. But okay. for someone who goes to the gym six times a week, is there for one and a half hours every day, uh, there's another kind of protein that's probably more relevant for them. Uh, Content depth for your vertical will be a lot richer on a Hugo Life than on any horizontal platform as you're starting. So there's content on platform and off platform. Okay. How do we engage and make people aware of, of what course. we're doing on Hugo Life? And once they come on to Hugo Life, how do we help them decide between, say, 20 different protein powders, sure. uh, for instance? So in some sense, you will end up being a consultative guide to me beyond the transactional platform. Correct. So while I might appreciate the transactional convenience and flexibility of an Amazon, I would come to you for the consultative nature of uh, the kind of content that's correct. Correct. Okay. That's the starting point of the user journey. This is how the user will come to you and also stay with you in some sense. But given that you're a marketplace and that's where the whole product experience side of it comes into picture, uh, you are in effect not preferring a certain brand. Yep. Right. So for the user to now navigate between the filters of whatever there is, how do you smoothen that journey? Because on some side, on some sides, right, you said 20 protein powders. Choice paradox itself can be a bit of a confusion. And you also then compete with the brand D2C because if I like a particular brand, I might just buy with them as well. Yeah, I mean, so from a D2C standpoint, I think you already see a lot of brands uh, moving away from that. I mean, more of, it's it's also very expensive to run yeah. D2C, right? So I think from a brand standpoint, uh, at, at least from what we understand, most brands want to be everywhere, right? It's, it's where they're going to get sure. the revenue. So, they don't generally prefer D2. I mean, there was a big push, I think, in the last few years to drive D2C. Mm -hmm. But now we see a reversal that, I mean, essentially they want to be where customers are, right? So they want to be the channel of preference. So we, we, we don't look at brands as competitive and they also don't look at us from a competitive nature. It's more around how do we collaborate to, you know, okay. uh, expand uh, the brand share for for a particular channel, right? Okay. From, uh, from a product standpoint, uh, a lot of the game comes into the data, right? Uh, how um, how the category tree looks like, how the category structure looks like, uh, what are the data points inputted in there, mm. and how do I show that uh, okay. on the website, right? So there's a bit of work uh, on a slightly manual side in terms of cataloging this rich data. And sure. then from the product side, it's about uh, how how do I visualize this for for the customer and how, how do I ensure that the UI UX seems smooth enough and it's 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 part of the customer's inherent journey right and it's part of the customer's inherent some, purchase some journey what you're saying is the filters that i'll see here for a yeah. subcategory would be more nuanced compared to 
another plant yes so and that's, also cross multiple categories yes that's the that's the journey we are going sure. through of course it's, it's it's been only 9 months course, right so yeah, yeah. it's uh, well, that's the direction that's uh, the direction we're heading to is how how do we ensure richness in yeah. in 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 all of what we are trying to do right uh, mo- moving towards uh, the customer lens uh, what are the things that they'd like to see when do they want guidance when do they not want guidance so those are the things they're trying to figure out hmm. um, and 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 go much much deeper from a content standpoint that they can get uh, in a horizontal marketplace fair enough so on one side uh, you're competing with not necessarily directly but at least on the google search interfaces you will be competing with other marketplaces as well as some of the dc platforms because they're also bidding on their own brands you're also probably going to be bidding on that brand optimum nutrition as you said so how does uh, the economics of acquiring customers look for you compared to the other gangs there will be few brands that probably do an amazing job of it uh, but i would say for majority of the brands like chetna said it is super expensive yeah. right and these have only become more expensive over the last 3 because years because of competition because they only have so much to sell so correct. your roas yeah. can always have a larger basket correct yes. correct now the advantage that we have is that typically consumers don't have just one health product sure they'll be having across I mean, if they're a health consumer, right? I'm not talking about the people yeah, who are not even in this category. Yeah. Uh, but if they're in this category, they're consuming more than one health product, and that's where coming onto Hugo Life would make more sense as long as we can deliver the right experience to them, have the right assortment for them, um, at a good price point, and give them a good delivery experience. Sure. If we if we are able to figure this out, uh, which is everything we need to do, uh, then I think uh, there is a use case for someone to come to us versus going to a brand side uh, that is purely from a tactical lens sure but i think in general what we want to do is also spread more education and awareness around this whole like i don't think there is a lack of awareness today sure. like you are bombarded by ads and content you follow one instagram health influencer you'll be bombarded by health content right so i don't yeah. think there's a lack of availability it's just the lack of structured information Maybe that curation that, as well because if it's too noisy then it's just hard to correct, absorb correct yeah right like i recently read somewhere or saw somewhere i don't remember that on average we see more than 500 600 ads in a day across all the touch points sure. we are going through in a day yeah. right so you Lots cannot you cannot remember anything mm. so for us the objective is how do we make this a lot simpler for the consumer So a lot of the stuff we will that we do will be off platform on a YouTube or a Meta or so on. Sure. Uh, but also once you come on, right? Like how do we make? For example, we have we have a panel of nutritionists now. So like you can scroll through the website, search for whatever. But if you still don't find what you want, or if you want to, you know, like engage a little more, talk a little more, then you have a WhatsApp chat which you can go and like talk to a nutritionist, and they can help you figure out what's right for you. um obviously there's a bit of algorithm where to a certain extent you answer a few questions and you'll be given recommendation sure. but beyond that if you're still not satisfied you can talk to someone you know it sounds very fascinating is when you said that the two big starters to solve one was in the terms of the consumer experience of the website second was a transaction journey in the smoothness so picking up the best of both worlds where a dc brand tends to offer on their own platform with content and discovery and engagement via the consultation and what an amazon kind of platform offers in terms of predictability and reliability of service so if you're able to marry these two together I see no reason why a DVC brand would not take this as a de facto path. But and for us, it's also sorry. sorry yeah, I would. Now saying for us, it's also about um, telling the consumer that seventy-five percent of Indians are deficient in vitamin D three, right? Sixty-five percent of Indians are deficient in protein. Sure. However, the the narrative today is that 
if you go to the gym, you should have protein and vice versa. It's yeah. like a one is to one. Sure. Um, right. But that's not the, the... You need protein regardless of your gym. Correct. Is what you're saying. Sure. Exactly. Now, we're not trying to sell you a brand of protein, which is what brands are doing. They're trying Any to say try. that you need protein, have our protein. What we're saying is you need protein. Whichever you want, we and have it. Here is all the options. So mm. I think we're, we're trying to create this more neutral voice compared to uh, a brand probably. At the same time, make the experience richer compared to a horizontal marketplace. So you know, what would be very fascinating is the economics of this whole business look very different because you said the brands find it very expensive to do this because in effect, their basket size will only go so far. They'll yeah. probably have X number of products to sell. While on a platform like yours, to acquire on the first basket size as well as the subsequent repeats, yeah. you have a much larger portfolio Correct. to deal with. Correct. And that's where I'm curious about a brand's, uh, let's say, willingness to also potentially do joint co-marketing on acquisition versus uh, downstream retention. Because, you know, look at, look at a platform like a marketplace, a lot of them make a lot of money from brand advertising on their platforms. Hmm. Is that the lens currently you're looking at or downstream you're looking at? We we do look at that for sure. And in yeah. fact, this was something we almost started with. From the day we so, launched, um, we had a few good breakout brands that suddenly saw like, oh wow, these guys are being able to get us consumers. Sure. Um, and I think the, the good validation that we got for ourselves and also for brands was that we were probably being able to sell SKUs for them that were not their top sellers on other channels. The okay. expectation that everyone had, including ourselves, uh, was that, okay, maybe we'll take a bit of market share in the first few months from someone else. Uh, but that was not always the case, which mm. meant that our targeting in terms of who we want as a consumer is probably a bit different than what either the brand or other marketplaces that are selling the brand are sure. doing in the current space. Um, so we actually started getting requests from brand very early on. We've done coordinated efforts on performance marketing. We've done joint collabs. We've done joint influencer marketing. Um, and I think brands also like it um, because probably it's the first time where a platform is working so closely with them and not just in a transactional manner. Sure. Saying, um, you know, like if it sells, we'll sell more. If it doesn't sell, then, you know, we can't do anything. Um, and that also goes into the way we work with brands, right? So we are an inventory-led model, uh, sure. which is very also different. So we're buying inventory, mm. uh, which also gives brands a lot of confidence. Skin in the game, right? clearly. Because we have the inventory, we are paying for the storage, we are responsible to manage the entire experience. Mm. Um, so they know that we are serious about this. Fair enough. So in terms of just the, uh, your lens on how you acquire customers, is there a channel mix that you currently have and where you see that this is the amount of money we spend and paid and this is a whole bunch of content efforts we're doing to drive organic. And let's say a share of our, our traffic is now direct because of all our communication pieces. Is there a, a let's say, mix of uh, traffic sources? The definitely. And I mean, they're pretty standard traffic yeah. sources. We advertise on a Google or sure, a Meta or whatever, where everyone does. Um, what we're more and more trying to understand now, and I think it's still very early days, is mm. um, where where else can we go, right? Because I think um, I mean, honestly, I think Google and Meta are very, very crowded. Um, sure. And a uh, lot of people have tried, but it's it's not that easy to to continue scaling on there. And hence, obviously, retention is a large part of what we do. Mm. Uh, and it's the same for even health brands within the space, sure. not just for a platform like us, right? Because you, you don't make money on your first purchase. Um, but if you can convince the person that this entire experience, right from when you came on to you consuming the product and liking it and it giving you benefits 
if this is a good experience, then you'd come back. And that's what we're all hoping for. Absolutely. Um, so obviously retention will play a very, very large part um, in what we're doing. And um, it'll be a part of our survival, uh, right? If we cannot get people to come back, um, then that's a problem. Uh, I can that's imagine. a PMF issue for us. Absolutely. So I think uh, the catalog itself has expanded quite substantially. So that should mean yeah. the inbound acquisition should be also slightly broad-based or is there some sort of categories of products that do a majority of heavy lifting of acquisition for you? So I mean, I think proteins is, is, a, is, a, big very, is, is a big category That's for us. That's how people enter the Hugo Life world. Yeah, and I think a general consumer also starts off. There, there are a couple of different personas. Yeah. Uh, but the the fitness person starts off uh, with protein. So okay. I think that's a, it's a very big acquisition. Default entry point for us. A default entry point for us. Uh, whereas uh, certain other consumers start off with supplements, uh, specific supplements. Uh, but yeah, these are the two general entry points. Hmm. We see proteins to be a big entry point for consumers to come in and then they, they, then they get into that habit and then you get into the performance habit of, you know, incrementally improving your performance and then you start taking other things. So we, we see so the basket getting built protein through Protein by design is a high repeat. Yeah. As long as you've had a product experience yeah. and as well as a service experience or delivery experience which has been superior, chances that they'll repeat from first order to second order within protein itself will be meaningful. Yeah. Yeah, I'm assuming that's a number you track pretty closely. Yeah. But have you done any, let's say, experiments around the size of the first order? Because I saw a very interesting example from somebody like a Plix. In fact, we shot this last uh, month probably with Rishabh. Uh, and his was quite a few words. I increased my... Uh, initial basket by 4x my ROAS became much better my conversion rate didn't drop as badly in your world obviously there's a larger portfolio of products to play with you only had apple cider vinegar a few more fizzy products but in your world that catalog can be much larger so from the uh, getting the first guy first protein powder pack to him what are the set of experiments that you've done which have helped you with respect to just either the conversion rate or ROAS or whichever metric you find important I, th I think so there are a couple of different things one mm -hmm. is we experiment with with combos okay uh, which is, uh, say, for a just for for a gym person, uh, they generally have a workout supplement and protein, right? Okay. So that's one thing we've experimented with is uh, virtual combos that that we attach to the detail page, right? That uh, it's it's almost like a frequently bought together, right? So sure. that's that's something to increase your basket size uh, versus protein. And the the second thing is more around uh, as as soon as you add to cart uh, on the cart, we have sort of offers for them around. These are sort of the last minute buys, right? So this is how you can add to the basket. Sure. Uh, it's 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 not changed the conversion rate and it's given us an increase in, in ROAS there, right? So mm. it's more around basket building Got for it. us. That's that's sort of the focus. And once you purchase, it's more around uh, restocking them and cross-selling them other categories, right? Sure. So that's the experiments you're trying to run is if, if you have an affinity for a particular subcategory, what other subcategories uh, are driving uh, purchase right so mm -hmm. it's it's very clear for say a gym person uh, fitness supplements are a very important subcategory for them in terms of affinity right so understood you know you mentioned across the conversation about a consultative approach wherein the user can build in some yeah. profile information and that will translate into a nutritionist giving advice is this a structured input that goes into a user attribute uh, mapping in some sense I mean either of you so we we've just started in that journey, but yeah. I, I think that's a separate. Uh, it's it's almost a, a a mini use case in the grander okay. scheme of things. I think the person who's super evolved doesn't is not Meaning looking for it, mm. okay. and the person who's uh, not very evolved and still in the education phase mm. will look for it. So there's slightly parallel streams, but we're looking to integrate them and and see see what 
what we come up with. But so far, we've we've done pilots with the sure. with the with the nutritionist flow, and we're looking to incorporate it uh, through Web Engage, right? We're looking to incorporate that journey. So you know, a very simple, very pointed question: two and a half kilo protein powder for one kilo protein powder. What would you want to put out there? Because the refill frequency would be different, right? I'll give yeah. another one in one month versus I need another two and a half months before this. Is this by choice you drive something? So uh, not 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 as of now. Okay. Uh, but what we are observing is heavy duty users buy the higher High kilo. pack. So mm-hmm. their usage is sort of uh, is the same as okay. the one the kilo. Frequency will probably be very similar. Yeah. So you mean to say, I'm, if I'm using twice a day, I'll still buy in one month two and a half kilos. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So some of some of the people who are buying the higher pack are using it twice a day. Okay. Whereas some of the lower packs are just using it once a day. So sure. You average out. So in some sense, my repeat interval is about one month, regardless of which yeah. pack I choose. In some sense, that's the yeah. user behavior inside yeah. you're talking about. Because then that automatically means as to when and how do I try to upsell yes. slash cross sell to something else. Yeah. Because if my uh, next thing is like three months away, the chances that I have brand recall as well as uh, a memory of my first good experience tend to get lower. Yes. Mm. So typically in your impression, what's your first or second order interval? When do people come back to the second order? So it's it's between 30 to 60 days. That's, oh, that's, that's already 30 to 60 days. Mm. Yes. But given that you have a fairly large catalog of products and there is a degree of, uh, let's say, a health affinity where people who are consuming protein powders might also want these five other things. And they've had a good experience with you right now. Uh, do you try to engineer, let's say, reduction of this as a core goal in your engagement retention efforts? Yeah, I mean, so the overall goal is more on the retention rate side of things. But I think as we increase retention rate, we'll see that come down. also come down. Yeah, I think that's a natural progression of it come down. There's no North Star metric to say, okay, I need a lower days. But sure. the North Star metric, of course, is retention rate. So, so trying to retention drive rate the first or second order rate itself. Yeah, hmm. yeah. And at this point, that's a number you're chasing. Uh, yep. And you cut it off at what window? I mean, three to six months window? Till what will you keep counting? Yeah, I mean, typically, uh, the way I'd look at it is it's a monthly frequency. Sure. So I'll, I'll cut it off uh, in, in a couple of quarters. So six months, if you yeah, repeat months. it, I'll yeah. consider first to yeah. second. And given that protein is a category, in uh, some sense, those brands are also fairly competitive and aggressive. How does uh, that pattern look? Is there a dominant set of components which drive a large part of this volume? Because then the windows to cross-sell and the chances that they'll switch to D2C are also a bit of a business risk for you. I think, again, it depends on the persona, right? So, like, yeah. for instance, there are people, like I said, right? Like, if you have your gym buffs, they know exactly what's good for them. They sure. know what they're taking. They yeah. know uh, that this is working very well from a performance standpoint. They just want that. Sure. You try to sell anything else to them, they're not going to switch. not going to work. Hmm. Uh, right? But that's a small part. Right. Uh, there's a large part which is always experimenting with with things. Right. Flavors, flavors. Uh, you know, different brands. Components, also, yes. like, um, there is also this notion amongst people who work out. Like, I'm only talking about the gym guys right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the same protein powder doesn't work for you forever. Okay. Right? So you need to keep changing. You need to keep like uh, having new stuff so that your performance uh, can continue improving. Okay. Uh, but f- apart from the guys who go to the gym, right? Like there is another part of people who are uh, active, they exercise regularly, uh, or they're coming to like, you know, they have a certain problem and they want to solve that specific problem and they come to us. So I think for all these guys, um, it's very easy for them. I think they're loyal to a category today. Sure. They're loyal to a concern, but they're not necessarily as brand loyal. Fair enough. And what I mean by that is, um, there may be people who will be like, you know what I've realized, like my immunity is really bad. I'm falling sick every time the weather changes, the weather changes too much. 
pollution happens, I fall sick. There's something wrong with my immunity. Sure. So now I want to solve my immunity. Okay. So I'm bought into the category that yes, this is something I need to solve. Mm. But am I brand loyal in that sense that I want to take brand X's immunity booster? Probably not. Sure. I'm going to try like six, eight things mm. and then see what works for me. I'm going to try different formats. There'll be a gummy, there'll be a pill, there'll be like a effervescent tablet. Mm. Um, and that's where a platform like us can really offer those those options to you, right? When you're... Fair. And that's where the discovery of what is, uh, let's say, exploration patterns, what is searches, what is filters, what yeah. is, uh, let's say, clicks are looking like might just tell you a lot about his problem statement. Correct. And hence the kind of solution you're able to offer from that lens. You know, it takes me to the lens on uh, the whole content personalization because you have a large number of products on the catalog. Each of these has a whole bunch of attributes as well. Uh, to improve uh, the navigation of the user through uh, either the platform itself as well as across the communication channels. How do you, uh, let's say, personalize uh, experiences? Maybe it's just the uh, the email that comes to you. What will that uh, include in terms of the knowledge you have about me? So, so we are we're sort of categorizing uh, folks into different broad personas. Okay. And and the journey for each of those personas, what we found is very similar. That's That's sort of the... Communications, uh, the, all of our communications, all of uh, the look and feel will flow, is going to flow through that, right? So how you talk to a person who's sort of a performance athlete, which is what I'd consider a, a, a person who's going to the gym every day. Um, Sorry, how right? do you find this out of the day zero? A lot of it is just talking to people also, yeah. right? So, I mean, you can categorize them. Uh, I mean, you can find patterns okay. in, in what... Uh, how people are talking to you and, sure. you know, you can sort of bucket them into broad buckets, mm. right? So... The thought is uh, a, lo- a lot of these have a lot of these folks have the same characteristic. Let me put them in one bucket, right? Okay. Uh, so the thought now is uh, how how do I uh, this is what appeals to them? Uh, what is the content that's going to appeal to them, and how the comms going to look like? So that's mm. that's sort of the, the way forward okay. for us is once when you're buying a few brands as mm. well as you're navigating through the website in a certain way, we're sort of bucketing you in in one broad category, uh, one one persona. And all the comms are going to be driven through through that, right? So that's that's the journey. We, we've started taking baby steps around of it. Of course. Uh, but the journey is more around uh, around personalizing experience through each of these personas. You know, I keep having to remind myself that it's a nine-month-old company. So pardon me if I expect <laughs> more uh, maturity because when I saw your website and the first impressions I got from the way you're using celebrities, the way you've invested in, the experience overall, it seemed like it's a mature kind of a situation, which is where I keep forgetting this is still nine months and you're on a fairly aggressive uh, speedy path. But okay, so understood the entire aspect around acquisition and understood the first aspects around retention and repeats. Uh, obviously, it's still early days for you to know uh, year-long matters for a nine-month-old company. Uh, let's just zoom into a little bit around uh, the lens on how the team is organized. What are the kind of initial roles you've set up? Because it's usually a fair reflection of your priorities as a company as to where you're prepared to deploy your resources and teams. So what does the org look like right now? And let's talk about maybe the marketing slash product side of things for a moment. Because that's, I mean, obviously operations and everything is a different animal in itself. But on this side, how does the org look like? Whoever wants to take it. I mean, I'll take a bit on the product growth side. So I I have a product uh, pod and then uh, we have, have a marketing pod. And then from a... To enable these two teams, uh, there, there there is a two three member team on the tech side that focuses only on enabling uh, growth, so right? For us, growth teams which now have access to product manager and engineers. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I mean, you you have your entire tech stack, of course, that's looking after the that's overall the, product. But you have but then, dedicated bandwidth to growth yeah. There teams is there is we moved in the last three four months towards two people just focusing on 
all things growth, right? Okay. Because what happens is it always, for some reason, gets deprioritized in some way. Because it's, it's the most common problem yeah, I've seen across companies. Because the integrations take time, uh, setting up templates take time. So all, all of these take things just fall off the wayside unless you have dedicated bandwidth. So we have yep. sort of two, uh, two, two, te- two engineers just focused on helping anything on on growth, right? Anything to get insights. That's that's where so we come to your side. So out any, a team. Let's say well thought out step because I hear this all the time across companies yeah. that the marketing teams or the growth teams ask will end up in priority number twenty seven thousand one in the IT team checklist because they have their own charters and priorities yeah. and how they think about life. And to isolate some bandwidth and keep it in this org suddenly changes the speed of experimentation as well as the speed of things yeah. turning around. So it's a conscious choice made, which I think yeah. is a. I mean, even if it's idea. low impact, right? Even if it's yeah. as much it's as. Incremental compounding. Yeah, it, it, it all. Any any insight that you get on growth is much better than um, anything else you'll do, at least so, on the early stage. So, in some sense, you also made the choice of bringing in an endorsement pretty early in your game. Hmm. What was that about? How did that originate? Did this something uh, you chose as a conscious step? Did that happen to be a serendipity? Tell us more about that. It, it was not always the plan, but I think it was a conscious step nonetheless. Yeah. Um, and if you remember from what I was saying earlier, when we were analyzing the whole the whole market and the health yeah. space mm-hmm. in India, we realized that there is a lot of clutter. Sure. So there is a lot of awareness. There's a lot of noise. But like you said, too much noise actually is, is uh, worse than no noise yeah. uh, in some sense. And that's why we felt like that we needed something to sort of break this clutter, right? Um, we knew obviously celebrities will help us to to with this uh, objective to some extent. Um, again, we wanted to go with people who truly embody this in their day-to-day life as well, right? So uh, it was not just about putting a face out there, but putting a face out there where people could resonate that, okay, if this person is telling me uh, something about health, then they come from a credible place, and that's where the the choice of uh, you know so going the, with the, the celebrities. The whether or not it was decided that you need credibility, so you need endorsements from celebrities. The choice of which celebrity mapped to their let's say acceptance of this whole thing in their daily lives. The fitment has to be resonate with the brand. Correct. Yeah. And uh, then subsequently, the deployment of where yeah. already use uh, the celebrity face effectively, and where you saw wins versus where you didn't see incremental impact. What was that like? From a very like. Uh, tactical perspective wherever we would use celebrity faces we saw better ctrs right um, and i think that was a given and it, it sure. was very important and it's still very important because we believe our product is good we yeah. believe our consumer experience is good so the more people we get on to yuga life uh, the better chances that they will enjoy what they're experiencing and come back yeah um, so that i think objective uh was a part of why we decided to do this and it sort of uh, worked. In terms of where all we've used it, I think we've tried to experiment with almost every digital channel that is accessible yeah. uh, for us to use this uh, across. Um, and some some cases where we expected this to work, it's not worked. Um, some cases where we just didn't expect it, but somehow... Google has found this picture and put it in a certain ad and it has worked and we're like, oh, wow, this is great. Would you be able to double uh, on some examples of this where you thought it should work, but it didn't and the vice versa? So, for example, we expected that um, putting a Bollywood celebrity's face would um, help us with uh, getting more conversions for beauty supplements, but that didn't happen. Um, okay. And was this like a structural issue or somewhere the final drop-off or where did this fall apart? 
I mean, we, I think we've experimented a lot with it, sure. uh, but the final sort of conclusion was, and again, I don't know if this is right or not, uh, but it, it's probably just that um, they like we, to see products there. Yeah. People, like see, see? people like to see products more. Uh, so if you put a product out there, they, you, you, you'd hide CTR. So I think from a, uh, for the beauty supplement categories, yeah. you would yeah. imagine on display ads on places like Facebook yeah. or Google Discovery, you will see better click-through rates for product-led imagery than yeah. celebrity imagery. Yeah. Is that what we're saying? Yeah. So but at least for, from the campaigns we did. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, yeah. obviously, this is yeah. all subject to the specific yeah. situation. Correct. So yeah. I Correct. don't yeah. have to put those disclaimers. That's yeah. I'm assuming that to be given. Yeah. But where you said on the other side with uh, the other categories where putting that celebrity face improved your click-throughs and traffic to the website. Correct. That was more appropriate for some of the, uh, let's say, other categories, nutraceuticals. Yeah, I think the more generic supplement hmm. space where I feel like a nudge may be required, okay. right? Like maybe someone who is having a beauty supplement, for instance, is looking for a beauty supplement, okay. right? They they probably already have a skincare hmm. routine that they're doing um, and they're already in market in that sense sure. uh, for a specific beauty supplement. Whereas in, in other general health supplements, right? Like say, for example, <clears throat> even if you take something like multivitamins, hmm. Right, there are so many people who take multivitamins regularly, uh, but they're still not regular with their multivitamin. It's sure. not like they take it every yeah. day. Yeah. Right. So this is a category I feel where maybe a nudge is required. That mm. hey, or probably on this journey, like you know, why don't you stick with it? Sure. Um, so there, they don't need to be probably told about the product, uh, but they need that little push to you know continue on, the on that. Itself. Yeah. So that's where your uh, celeb endorsement helps matters to nudge this guy a little bit to get across the habit habit. Yeah. But on the other side, where it's a slightly more nuanced, specific need-based affair, you tend to depend more on the product attributes Correct. than the Correct. celebrity influence. So in general, we've tested multiple formats, yeah. multiple A-B-T and, and see what works. I think there are in no, certain cases... I'm to kind of, you know, make, hopefully yeah. help some people skip that experimentation. Yeah. And we will yeah, find some. But I don't think you can ever skip that. I think yeah. you, you just need to of course, but experiment could... different formats. Yeah, yeah. I mean, broadly speaking, you just have to experiment different formats. So in terms of uh, this is a layer of personalization across experiences and specifically talking about catalog recommendations. You talked about people who bought this also bought this and these yep. kind of affinities already in motion. Is this also something that you deploy uh, on a website experience and downstream communications across channels? Or to what extent is this, uh, let's say, in motion right now? We're now sort of powering our entire, all of the carousels that, that we show yeah. recommendations through uh, and, and we're automating that away. Okay. Uh, and it's happening as we speak. Sure. So that's that's the first layer that goes through. Uh, and, and then and the, this is driven by some degree of CRM data that, okay, this, yeah, this guy yeah. has to see this and that guy has to see this. Sort. Yeah, exactly. So we, we'll start off with broad buckets and then we'll, of course. we'll continue to personalize further. Uh, but we've already started the work on that and I think it's going to get deployed. But your soon. conviction is clear that personalized is better than non-personalized. Yes. You've seen some testing control uplift yeah. uh, to say that this is... Yeah, I mean, definitely, I think when, when we send uh, communications that are much more personalized, they have a much higher CTR than sending the same to all, right? I mean... Sure. Uh, no, I, but I mean, we would general, love to believe that's a given. But, no, no, uh, I, it's not a given, to... right? It's not a given for more, a lot of categories. For this category, it's definitely a given. Uh even when you do it manually, like uh, sure. even without, uh, you know, having systems. having any any systems, what we've seen is when when you personalize the content a lot more, it's driving much higher CTRs, driving much higher conversions, right? Sure. So the the entire journey is how do I personalize it even further? So the first first step towards it is um, we're, we're we're personalizing all of our um, 
carousel recommendations. Sure. Uh, before we we had certain rules in place, but now now we're sort of taking those training wheels mm. away as well and uh, personalizing that first. And the second bit of it more will be around aiding the coach's journey. Okay. Uh, which is when when to whom do I show um, a, a guided flow? Okay. To whom do I do I just show? Uh, like who's more evolved? Do I just show them products that they'd like to see, right? So that's that's the next step. In some of the sense, journey. a certain level of user segmentation yep. and real-time interventions during their website experience itself. Yep. I do know you guys are either releasing an app already or are we, somewhere there. We've how, launched. How is that? We, we launched an app and it's been it's been about two months. Yeah, uh, we we're, we're over a hundred thousand downloads now, or about two lakh downloads. Uh, so yeah, we we. It's it's early stages on the on, on the on the app side, but yeah, we, it's been about three months of a learning journey. There. But I'm assuming that's also a degree of conviction that as a category, this yeah. resonates extremely well with having an app compared yes. to a single brand where my transaction frequency is kind of low, so I might not yeah. have an and app. And we're also seeing much higher conversion absolutely uh, through our app. So we were the the overall uh, goal is to nudge people to move towards absolutely. the app. Yeah. I think that somewhere by design also ends up having people who are more predisposed to having a higher frequency of engagement and transactions. Yeah. Yep. They're the ones who will install the app because they're more committed to that subject. Correct. And automatically that behavior manifests in more mm -hmm. transactions yep. as well. So in terms of the early days of, let's say the zero to one retention piece on the app side of things, are you doing something differently from what you did on your web? So one thing is we're, we're driving people from the web to the app. I think okay. that's uh, because we, we already built that base on the web. For new users, new installs, first-time customers, what would the first installers of the app be like? Are you doing like cost per install kind of campaigns to drive that? Yeah, case? so it's a mix of uh, it's it's a mix of digital uh, paid marketing, right? So you're you're running your your UACs on on Google. It's sure. a mix of that, but we also see a large share of existing web users Correct. converting to app right through CRM and through of course uh, website. Uh, and so nudges. what would imagine in the app? app route there'd be two let's say journeys to user acquisition one is where people install the app as a first experience of yeah. Yuga Life and then you work to activate them mm. yep. the other one would be where there are existing users of Yuga Life which are already consuming it on the website probably mobile web and a percentage of that would start to install the app yes. and continue the journey there so yeah. this okay. is the frequency equal to zero at, uh, in one track and the frequency equal to one to zero in the other track yep. so I'm curious to understand if the economics of this or the conversion funnels of these two paths how different do they look and then if you have the, let's talk about the first scenario, when you're driving app installs at a certain velocity, you said you have 200K. How do you, uh, let's say, run the activation flow in the application to make sure the people are uh, making their first transaction quickly? Uh, are you selling categories uh, when the people are installing the applications? So if somebody wants to buy protein, they'll get navigated to Yuga Life app in a certain flow. Or will you be, uh, let's say, saying that Yuga Life installation will give you these 20 benefits to so install the app first? What kind of conversion funnel are we talking about in that lens? App installs. So from an app install standpoint, huh? uh, for for new users, we are driving them from a it's a it's a category conversation, right? Okay. So yeah, you you come here to buy your different categories. So sure. it's almost a category lens. Uh, mm. From a from a paid marketing lens, it's there's there's conversion goal against it, right? So okay. we're trying to drive more high intent for a first time user journey. We're trying to drive more high intent user journeys. Uh, from existing web users, we are trying to convert them through um, through through all sorts of CRMs, right, and re-engaging them uh, through paid, right. Those are the sort of two strategies hmm. that we are seeing um, from from a first-time lens, uh, from a first-time user lens. I think driving them through a category standpoint uh, is 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 sort of working out because okay. they're they're very high-end users. 
and they're, they're coming for the reason to purchase. For our CRM journeys, I mean, we're, we're sort of just uh, nudging them with with a first-time promo there. So sure. we're, we're sort of incentivizing first them to... promo for the app install. For the app install. So we're, we're nudging them through different offers to of get course. them on the app. So, I mean, that's that's what's working well, for existing so in some sense, you users. do see the very clear incremental lifetime value if people have apps. Yes. So yeah. it makes sense for you to incentivize that shift that once you have the app, I... I will engage with you better. I'm able yeah. to communicate with you better. Hmm. The experience is superior, so you'll stick around yep. with me for longer. Yep. Yeah. And that's uh, also a bit of conviction from, you know, whatever yeah. decision making you've done in investing the app. But what I'm also interested in understanding is you've chosen to build the entire tech team and all of this in-house. The app has also been built in-house. Yeah. yeah. And that's, again, a conscious call because for a company your size, it can be a fair bit of technical, let's say, investment and overhead to build this in-house. What was the source of this, uh, let's say, belief to say that tech has to be in-house? I think if you're building a platform, so I guess the build versus buy, we're building the core Mm. e-commerce stack in-house. Yeah. uh, Whereas all of the supporting functions is through some SaaS provider, right? So uh, MarTech is through WebEngage. Our our transportation or our fulfillment Mm. uh, has a couple of providers, right? So we're we're choosing to build the core e-commerce stack Mm. in-house. Everything else is is shared knowledge that we're bringing in through. Because... uh, Sure. So you're using a whole bunch of SaaS, but the yeah. core e-commerce offering itself is in-house. Yeah, because if you want to drive uh, some level of personalizations, uh, some level of customizations, uh, that that degree of flexibility you will not get. Some outsourced. point of WooCommerce or whatever will cap out is what you're saying. You will not get the same level of customization. Sure. It's it's not possible to run with that speed if there's no skin in the game. And Fair also enough. agility, right? Like yeah. we, we want to make sure that we can fail fast, learn quickly, mm. do something different. Hmm. run like five different experiments in one go a b test so and and given that um we're always going to be like an app first driven business though today it's a small part but sure. that's that's what our future looks hmm. like uh it i think it's very essential almost a given that you have to have your own in our stack in our stack i mean in some sense it's also a function of enabling infra because the kind of yeah. maturity some of the other SaaS has taken maybe the e-commerce app functionality on a marketplace side of things isn't as readily mature for you to say that, okay, this is 20 things available off the shelves. Yeah. Mm. Because otherwise you'll spend all that time building something which was maybe readily available Correct. online. Yeah, so for example, Shopify apps, is great for web, but for app. On the app side, it's still mm. super early. Yeah, Fair super enough. early. So, you know, one of the things I'd love to double-click on is a bit of the whole channel selection piece. And either of you are welcome to take a stab at this because what tends to happen in early days is you're collecting a whole bunch of permissions and a whole bunch of data. And you're deploying emails, WhatsApps, web pushes, notifications. Now you have the apps, you're doing pushes also. It can very quickly go bombarding route versus under-communicating so the user forgets you. So how do you strike a balance? How do you choose channels? How do you choose frequency of communication in your world? So uh, I, I'll take this up. I, sure. I think that's a question that, that's on my mind every day on when to bombard and when not to bombard. Uh, the overarching, we, we put at a global uh, account level, we put some frequency caps. Okay. Uh, that, that I put just uh, in terms of rule of thumbs for now. Uh, as as like you know you don't uh, no communication should be sent more than X times a week okay. across WhatsApp, email, and SMS. Uh, that's 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 sort of the broad lens, right? Okay. I, uh, just as a frequency. And this is like what cap. five a week is like the upper cap. Ten no, a no, week, no, no. Five a week is a bit too much. So, I mean, at least on too much. No, no. I mean across channels is fine. Across channels is fine. I mean, for a particular channel, I feel like five a week is 
It's a bit too much. But that's your sense, and this is your intuitive sense because you don't know how to get bombarded. It's all intuitive sense, and also I have seen how sort of Amazon also works and all, and we've seen sort sure. of rule of thumbs. So, oh, that's so, where your learning is coming from. There, okay. and we've spoken to a few folks. Uh, I mean, sometimes it comes from the industry lens. Sometimes it's, sure. it's, it's intuitive also, but hmm. broadly speaking, don't want to bombard a person more than once a day for a particular channel that's sort of broad strokes we we've taken once a day for the channel yeah for okay. for one particular you channel you uh, let's say get this to a more data driven decision lens instead of a huge yeah, so, at some point you'll want to do that exactly so that, that's the other thing you're trying yeah. to experiment is more intelligent in, intelligent uh, sort of uh, uh, seeing where if if you trying some experiments on certain journeys where if we bombard them a lot for what happens to the ctr but we sort mm-hmm. of not there yet uh, we've sort of taken rule of thumbs for now in okay. terms of mm-hmm. uh, broad 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 strokes how much so we want to communicate sort of as okay. a frequency gap sort of things um and then from a journey standpoint we uh, we're sort of uh, going from low engagement to high engagement or low cost to high cost channels That's a cost uh, as as of now mm-hmm. uh, where where we start with the lower cost channels and then we move to higher cost channels uh, which also drives higher engagement as well right whatsapp is your doesn't that sometimes come in the way of performance outcomes because if you send whatsapp first it might give you better conversion than later sometimes the degree of time and the yeah so uh, let me clarify i think yeah. for uh, the higher intent journeys uh, like abandoned card we we choose whatsapp, WhatsApp first. first yeah there we go uh, yeah yeah so for the for those we choose but for the general sort of promotional ones sure. we, we choose for a range yeah, of enough. these yeah so i yeah i that there's a, there's a split there For oh, yeah, high-intent ones, we we focus on. It'll be worthwhile first. because the ROAS is just uh, the, the ROAS makes sense. The intent makes sense. It's higher engagement for the promotional side of things. We 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 more low-cost slash free channels. Yeah, we we go for more low-cost. But there again, we're sort of trying to experiment with um, should we should we send all three together or slightly later. <laughs> um in in certain time frames uh, we we don't have the answer so far but that that's where we're moving towards sure i think you know one of the things we're doing at webing is to actually use a bit of intelligence to make this decision easier for you yeah. you'll see that coming through sure but great having this conversation uh thanks so much for making the time thank to join so us much. and thank i completely enjoyed it thank you so much thank you so much